السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگس فلا بی اپان آن آور آل اوور لسنرز ویلکم ونس اگین اندر ڈرائیو ٹائم شو ان وائس آف اسلام یو آر لسننگ ٹو انیق رحمن اینڈ آئی ہیو جوائنڈ بائی ڈاکٹر طارق باجوا ان دا اسٹوڈیو اینڈ آئی ویلکم ہیم ان دا اسٹوڈیو از ویل تھینک یو ویری مچ پیس بی آن یو اینڈ آل آور لسنرس یا winter we are going to talk True. about and it is already winter and you can feel that it's quite chilly isn't it yeah it is certainly it's very cold outside and uh, today we will be discussing uh, as you mentioned uh, that uh, why it is essential this winter that we can keep ourselves warm and uh, <clears throat> in the second hour we will be discussing another interesting topic which is uh, you know we some very hot topic i should say is sharia law and uh, the misconception and the cruel punishment and what people think about it what the reality is and we will be discussing that as well in the next hour for the particular topic uh, which we'll be covering in the first hour as i mentioned it's going to be th- this winter this chilly winter uh, indeed it's very cold outside i just i just came in even though in the morning is very sunny it's very nice but as soon yeah, you know the evening bright, comes bright morning yeah, yeah. at least uh, I, i think that that keeps your mood up so True. yeah if it is gray all day then it's um, it's difficult but this winter we are facing uh, other sorts of problems as well it's not only that it's gray but it's also um uh, it's like um difficulties as regards um, how to cope with uh, the winter uh, additional problems and they include the financial problems how mm. to afford um the bills the energy bills have uh, gone sky high suddenly you realize the uh, you know the the paying energy bills is difficult the rents have increased the cost of living has increased uh, mm. um there is uh, chances of winter energy blackouts then um, uh, at at the moment you know um to keep your houses warm obviously you have to think about it uh particularly those who are going to pay the bill uh and uh, while you have uh, you know you must have read the news about people not being able to afford even the food for their children um the, the some some of the parents they have sacrificed um their own food for the sake of providing good food for their children uh, but uh, winter as uh, you know you, you might have remember as well that your parents always were worried that when you are going out in winter months you know you, you should wrap up properly otherwise mm. you you can get pneumonia true and we are going to talk about uh, pneumonia as well what it is how you can prevent yourself how how winter uh, in winter you are more vulnerable to get mm. this uh, uh, like a, it's a fatal disease um although you know in presence of antibiotics we are in, in much safer uh, hands nowadays but uh, and also you can get uh, the jabs which can prevent you from flu from covid from um, pneumonia as well particularly the, uh, the elderly people all people who are over 60 they can get a pneumonia jab and it's free on nhs uh, you you can get a jab um, and you can not only get it from um, from your gp surgeries but also from the pharmacies which is uh, readily available so um, i think it's uh, so many things which are associated with winter 
although winter is such time uh, when you know you've got these festive holidays as well which are coming up uh, and uh, um, with the longer nights, you get a better rest. Um, you, you have got a long night, and you can sleep well. Or, or, although you know during the day your your time you have a shorter time, but then uh, the advantage is that you can be together at home. You can spend more time thinking about yourself um, uh, and just uh, reflecting on what how you can improve yourself. You can get a lot of time reading, talking to each other. Um, having closer relationships um, to your friends and family, um, you, you get more time. So there are certain advantages as well uh, with the winter. Um, uh, but particularly uh, the problems at the moment uh, everyone is facing um, in UK, but we are uh, talking about uh, with the with the Brexit and uh, Ukraine war. Um, coming one after the other, obviously, they are leading to one crisis into another one, and uh, everybody has to, to worry about the situation, how they are going to manage. There are, of course, financial issues, uh, and uh, the, the health issues, we've just come out of COVID, and uh, that, that was, of course, a, a gloomy time, and... Um, and many people have not yet come out of some of the miseries which uh, you know the COVID has left, even in the form of uh, long COVID. People are suffering, uh, and uh, um, most of the mental health issues they are mm. leading to anxiety and depression, uh, which take long time to to go away because uh, it has an impact on your mind. Uh, people who have lost their dear ones, people who have uh, their dear ones suffering during this period. Of course, uh, you know they have uh, uh, they have gone through this uh, crisis, and uh, um, to come out of it, of course, uh, uh, it takes more than just rest and more than just uh, uh, having uh, like a, a, a free time when you are away from your work, because that doesn't sort uh, all of it out. But we are lucky that we believe in, in one God, and God Almighty has already warned us that uh, he is going to, to put us to trial, and that trials can be in the form of loss, loss of, can be loss of health, it can be loss of wealth, it can be um, loss of job, it can be, you know, all the different types of, uh, um, it can be fear, it can be anxiety, uh, but God Almighty has reassured us that those who believe in God Almighty, they take it with patience, they take it with steadfastness, and they, they always say when, whenever a calamity comes to them, they say that we are, we are for, the, for Allah, and to Him are we going to return. So any, uh, any sort of loss, uh, this is something which can, uh, which can calm them down, which can keep them um, stable, uh, and that is what you need at uh, at such a time when you are suffering or going through a period of uh, suffering. That uh, that it is uh, it is the God Almighty's will, and uh, sometimes it's not in your hands. Whatever you do, you may do, 
sometimes you make an effort and mm. God Almighty has promised that, you know, whosoever makes an effort, he will reward that. But then sometimes he wants to do his way because he is the master. He is not just only your friend. He is not only just your... Uh, and and even the, even the friends, you know, sometimes the friends, sometimes they will agree to you. Some, sometimes they will, they won't. And that uh, whatever they say should be, um, you know, uh, should be done accordingly, according to their desire. So, so we have to submit to the will of God because he is our master, he is our creator. And uh, if you submit to the will of God, that is what brings you um, uh, serenity, brings you contentment, satisfaction. And uh, if you are uh, happy with whatever his will is, then uh, then you you don't suffer from that kind of anxiety and uh, you get sort of contentment of heart. True, you know, uh, indeed. But <clears throat> uh, as we are going through the winters and uh, God of Almighty also says to have some kind of precautions, which I think uh, we should be grateful that God Almighty has given us, uh, you know, the life and it is our duty to protect it as well. And it is very important to take precautions, especially this winter. And especially this wintry weather, I would like to uh, narrate one, uh, you know, uh, the BBC uh, presenter had uh, uh, some kind of experience I would like to share with you. So, say that what happens in the colder weather? Why is there a need to adapt the seasonal changes? James Jalanga and Inside Health Presenter at BBC4 took up the challenge to see what happens to the body when exposed to an unheated room. At just 10 degrees, his body was monitored, as were his symptoms. When the temp temperature drops, the body works harder to pump blood around. And it says the heart rate and blood pressure increases, but also the blood flow to the brain decreases, meaning it is far harder to concentrate or be able to think effectively. Blood flow to the brain decreased by 20%. These changes are profound, but also important, as 10 degrees is the average temperature that people will be living in if they can't afford to heat their homes. So, you know, even the cold weather also makes viruses and illnesses more common. And it is easier for viruses to spread because uh, uh, we are more likely to meet up indoors with the windows uh, windows shut and uh, no fresh air to blow viruses away. Coal also makes it easier for viruses to survive outside the body and cold air contains less virus-trapping moist moisture. Dry air even allows viruses to travel further distance. So even though <clears throat> the, the 10, 10 degree which is mentioned, uh, the experience they had, you know, it is very, you know, we can see what kind of changes it brings to the body and it is very uh, important to take care of uh, the body otherwise uh, you know the illnesses uh, take over the body and uh, one thing which sometimes uh, people uh, don't really take care of that one you know people should be eating properly as well in 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 winter as well especially having the warm meals and uh, staying warm you know comes in plenty of ways and the most obvious thing being turning uh, on the heating, of course. However, it is, you know, not only it is not the only option. Eating more carbohydrate-dense food to increase your energy, and moving around and staying active so that your body stays warmed up. 
and wearing lots of layers are all effective ways of, uh, of course, combating the cold. So, you know, it is extremely important to stay warm and adapt uh, to the seasons. And many factors can increase your risk of falling ill during cold weather, uh, such as age, you know, pre-existing health condition, or a weakened immune system as a result of already battling a virus such as COVID-19. Even, you know, people uh, don't know sometimes about what's going on in the body. So it is very important that one should be taking care of uh, themselves properly, taking the proper measures, you know, have wearing the proper, you know, layers of warm clothes, having, uh, you know, warm meals, which give you more, you know, uh, warm to body. And of course, there are some vitamins you can take. And these all things are very important to protect yourself, your body from the viruses which are uh, there uh, around us. And especially we're looking at children nowadays, there are news everywhere that children are getting ill. And, uh, uh, you know, there are um, unfortunately few, uh, you know, children died as well. So it is very important for the parents as well to take care of their children. Uh, it is, uh, you know, asked to whenever children come back home, they should uh, wash their hands, they should wash their faces and make sure uh, that they, they change their clothes as well. And it is very important to take these kind of measures to protect even children as well because they go to school, they meet up with different children. And, uh, you know, apart from having uh, good layers of clothes and good meal, it is important to take a good hygiene as well to, you know, protect uh, yourself and children and society as well. Yeah, good diet, um, of course, plays a major role. It's not only it's the warm food, but it's also the one which provides you enough calories mm. Because you need calories, and then there's the calories which uh, which makes your immunity better. Particularly mm. the you know the dried fruit, the nuts. Yeah. Nuts are quite uh, you know healthy food that mm. provide you with good immunity as well as uh, they provide lots of calories as well. Uh, but uh, you know the physically. Um, also, you know during this month we have at the end of this month we have. Mm. Um, uh, our annual conference, uh, annual Jalsa, mm. which is held in our headquarters in Kadian in India. Mm. And um, so this year it is being held on the, on the 20, uh, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Of course, uh, traditionally it is held on 26, 27, and 28th. So that's the last weekend of December. But uh, the dates have been uh, changed slightly. But uh, of course, this is the, uh, the, the coldest um, sort of. Mm. Uh, um, Period, mm. and when the the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, he, uh, he invited people to come for for this annual jalsa, he, you know, with his instructions, he particularly mentioned that you should come with your warm clothing mm. and your bedding as well. So you should have an arrangement of your mm. own bedding, and uh, and people still follow that rule, and they come and they, they stay there to, for three days and. Uh, and they come from far and wide. They come from mm. all over the world now They because it has become international jalsa. And um, so they are... Uh, well, sometimes I, I have personally seen that there are people who are not properly clad at that time. Maybe um, they're not aware that that would be... Um, uh, it will be so much cold. cold I've seen people coming particularly from south of India. Mm. And uh, there they haven't even ever seen winter. 
So, <laughs> so all they have a very thin clothes, mm. which are for meant for for uh, summer months, mm. and they are wearing that in in that winter clothes, uh, winter uh, sort of days, mm. and um, and sometimes I've, I've I've told them that you know you you can get ill, you mm. must cover yourself, and uh, even in uh, in Rabwa we used to hold jalsas. When it was allowed, um, uh, still it is uh, there's a restriction from the government, and it's not being held for many years. And uh, there, there are now many, many of the our youngsters who have not even seen um, uh, an, uh, our annual jalsa in Rabwa, uh, because the last jalsa was in 1983. I remember mm. the last jalsa; it was about 300,000 people. They were there who oh. attended. Uh, at the uh, at the time of it was uh, the second uh, the fourth caliph, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad Sahib. He it was his his uh, like uh, second year of his uh, caliphate because he was mm-hmm. elected in, in 1982, and um, so I I was lucky to be there and. Uh, um, as usual, it was cold and and it was uh, held in open air. Mm. It was not covered like it's here. We have got marquees with all the heating, heating arrangements and yes. all the air conditioning as well. So, so I, I think if you, you imagine that, you know, from uh, such circumstances, we've gone. Uh, practically, it is it is luxury mm. as compared to that. People still they're sitting on something called prali. Prali is the like. Uh, uh, what is the straw, uh, straw of the the rice uh, crop? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so that straw is is underneath, and uh, you sit on that, and uh, with with the blankets uh, now? still on. Uh, yeah, even now, mm-hmm. even now, people sit there in 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 Kadian, That's that's how they sit, oh. out out in open, and it's, it's very very cold. Um, yet you sit all day long and you you listen to to the speeches and because it's the speeches which make you warm mm. <laughs> <laughs> and all the slogans which are raised is out of the passion and out of the um, warmth of their faith that, uh, that you keep each, each other warm. I think sitting together also makes a difference <laughs> because you True. you are and uh, and there are certain yeah. things which are enjoyable during this period as well because uh, you know you you sit together you eat all the uh, peanuts and uh, oranges oranges in Rabwa they came mm. used to come from Sagoda. Uh, they, they are world famous you know the oranges from mm. from Sargoda area they used to come and they used to to put put on the ground like uh, big heaps of them mm. um, and the people you know got that uh, during the break and uh, used to sit together to have that but mm, the thing what we are talking about is that you need a good food mm. you need <laughs> you need good clothing even you know uh, the socks you can wear a warmer mm. socks the the head should be covered you can have your gloves you can have your scarves um, and particularly, uh, you know, I, I, I can uh, narrate you an incident mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, one of my friends, he, he always said that, you know, uh, you know, when um, Tarek wants to go to Jalsa, all he does is he goes to the market, he buys a scarf and he says, this is, I'm going to Jalsa and they, I will need it there. Mm-hmm. So so that is all his preparation, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when he is intending to go to that uh, conference, uh, the annual conference. Uh, and and the thing is that if you if you make an intention, then you know Allah makes arrangements for you to to be able to go, go there. So so this is this is all related that with the winter you should be um, having good food to prepare yourself to combat 
all the um, the viruses and bacteria which are around. You were talking about people, uh, the recent episode which has happened, that uh, a few people, they have suffered from Streptococcus mm. A, which is, uh, which is a bacteria. It is not a virus. It's a bacteria. And, and it's very rare that we have got bacteria in this country. Most of them, most of the time, it is the viruses, which mm. called flu, which cause cold. And um, the bacteria are rare, but this, this bacteria has come back and uh, it, it can easily spread from one person to another person. Mm. And that is why it spreads in children, in schools particularly. Uh, and uh, if you don't have good immunity, if you don't have a good defense system in your body, you can easily be attacked by it. And although um, the, um, the antibiotics are not normally prescribed, it is, it is uh, avoided to be to prescribe because we don't want bacteria to become resistant mm. to antibiotics so that tomorrow when we need it, uh, if bacteria become resistant, then these antibiotics will not be effective. So the doctors are reluctant to, um, to prescribe the antibiotics because they don't want uh, resistance to develop. Because if everybody is taking yeah. uh, antibiotics for all reasons, then you'd, you won't have any antibiotics left which are effective. And that would be a disaster. And that to prevent that, to, uh, to having a, a resistant bacteria, uh, the, um, the antibiotics are avoided. And, but sometimes um, it is too much uh, you know, caution and uh, you can miss the boat by not prescribing at the right time. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the sepsis is another thing which can, which can be fatal and uh, you, you have to prevent that and you can prevent it by early intervention with antibiotics provided you, know, you, you recognize the signs. Mm. So early recognition of the signs of a bacterial infection is very important. That's why you see you are very careful about the meningitis mm. when you develop a rash. So, uh, so that, that is one thing that is, uh, somebody has like difficulty in swallowing, swollen tongue, strawberry tongue. It is it's called a strawberry tongue mm. when it's red, when there is a red, uh, you know, uh, there is uh, red cheeks and the, on the skin there is some yeah, tiny um, rash develops. Then you have to be careful that it could be, it could be a streptococcal A infection. So one has to be careful and uh, monitor and rush them to the doctor or call an ambulance uh, at that time. So that is, that is very important. But generally, we're talking about the um, as regards the um, the winter is concerned. Of course, you have to be um, in a warm place. You have to to use your heating. Um, and if you you can't afford the heating, of course, you have got your clothes. You can wear them. You can have mm-hmm. more than one layer, and you can use the thermal um, thermal clothes, which are very effective to control. Particularly the layers, mm-hmm. um, layers are very important that they can keep you safe. So um, after the COVID, in particular, and alongside that, as I mentioned earlier, that we got. Brexit, we've got the Ukraine war going on, and um, one one should also pray for these people because who are uh, who are suffering at the moment, who are not sitting, you know, comfortably at their homes in this winter, mm. and they are exposed to war. They are exposed to be protecting themselves. Um, they are out in the open, and uh, so this is staking people towards further crisis because the war does not, um, you know, it has its own consequences. Mm. And the major consequences, of course, are those of uh, economical uh, and the financial crisis. And financial crisis lead on to further uh, problems uh, in the society.
We already know that you know there there is uh, there is increase in prices of things. Uh, there has been an increase. Uh, not only that we are facing inflation, but also all the things. Anything you go and uh, to buy, the, the prices are high. Your uh, earnings have suffered already. Um, uh, people are poorer in comparison to before COVID. Uh, because the COVID has had an impact, and now there are circumstances such that you are not um, earning that much as you were earning before. So that is affecting people. Um, there is also people are also f- uh, facing food insecurity. Um, people are not eating properly. They, some of them they have to skip meals just to s- save their money for the energy bills they have to pay, um, and the pay the rents they are living in because the rents have gone high as well. So all these things are are affecting people. So in in Islam uh, also there is uh, the concept of zakat. Zakat mm. is then you know when when the richer people they they uh, sort of pay some of the amount a certain percentage is two and a half percent of what they have kept over the year. Out of that they pay, and this is supposed to be um, used for the pe- people who are in need. So they they can. Uh, so this is a religious duty of all Muslims to give from what they have, what God has given them, uh, to those who are in need and who cannot afford. Hmm. And of course, particularly for those people who are in need, you can't use this amount uh, for any other projects, right? Yeah, there, 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 there is specific people yeah. for, for, for mm-hmm. whom you use. But of course, uh, generally, it is the people who are in need, basically. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, the command of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, he said that the zakat should be taken from rich and given to poor and donates the, the the basic principle of zakat is sympathy for mankind and helping poor and uh, from the details given by the holy prophet uh, or holy quran it became quite clear that the underlying idea is the support of the poor and again the holy prophet was always very anxious to help uh, you know they have knots in their distress their difficulties and in their uh, you know difficult times therefore you know he took the undermentioned step in this matter and he spent his own life like that of uh, have knots and always supplicated that oh my lord so long i live i should be poor and take me to the to yourself while i'm still poor and on the day of resurrection raise me up with the poor people so just wanted to you know, <clears throat> be one of them to show the love and sympathy for them. And of course, he tried his level best whenever he got something to help the needy people. And that's what we need to do in this difficult time. Now I will move to our first guest speaker uh, who is with us. And uh, <clears throat> uh, she's Emma Rubach from uh, Asma and Lung, UK. And... Uh, uh, just a little brief introduction of Emma is a head of health advice at Asthma UK, the only charity in the UK fighting for everyone with a lung condition, aiming for a world where everyone can breathe with healthy lungs. We fund research, we provide advice and support for the 12 million people who will get a lung condition during their lifetime. We campaign for clean air and for better NHS diagnosis and treatment. So now we'll speak to Emma. Thank you very much, Emma, for joining us. Hello, are you with Thank us? You. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining us today. 
Uh, Emma, you know, your analysis revealed that the UK has more death from pneumonia than anywhere else in the Europe and one of the highest death rates. Please tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about what a pneumonia is and the signs and symptoms of it. So um, pneumonia often comes on after another infection like flu or COVID-19. Um, and it's when the little air sacs in your lungs fill with fluid, which makes it very hard to breathe. So uh, the signs and symptoms of pneumonia, it's basically like having a really awful test infection. So the main symptom would be coughing, um, but you can deteriorate very fast, so you can get bad very quickly and um, find things like you might find that you don't feel you want to eat very much, you're pale, you're shivery, you have a fever. Um, If things get worse, then unfortunately you can end up coughing up blood, feeling pain in your chest. Uh, really not wanting to do very much, feeling very weak and fatigued. So those are the signs of pneumonia. Um, and if you think you have them, then we're urging people to get medical help as quickly as possible. Um, so speak to your GP or call 111. Um, and of course, if you're having difficulty breathing, then make sure you call 999. Why is pneumonia especially of concern this winter in light of the current state of NHS, the existence of COVID and the housing crisis? Is there anyone more at risk? So unfortunately, people with uh, long-term conditions, uh, including respiratory conditions like asthma and COPD, are more at risk of pneumonia, um, as are older people and uh, young children and babies. Um, and we're particularly worried this year because of all of the extra pressure on the NHS, um, meaning that um, if people do get very ill, they may find it more difficult to get treatment. This doesn't mean that you should avoid trying to get treatment if you are ill. Um, but at the same time, we want to make sure that people are doing everything they can to protect themselves against pneumonia. So there are a few simple things that you can do. The most important thing is to make sure you're... Um, getting your vaccine so you can get a pneumonia vaccine if you're eligible if you have a long-term condition or if you're older than 65 um, or um, a young child then you'll be offered it as a matter of course uh, you can also try to make sure that you're getting your flu vaccine this year um, and your COVID-19 vaccine if you're eligible um, if you do have a respiratory condition or another long-term condition um, or you're elderly then these are offered free on the NHS And it's really worth taking them up this year because, as I was saying, uh, pneumonia is often the result of another infection like flu or COVID-19. And so if you can avoid catching um, those infections in the first place, then you're much more able to avoid pneumonia. And that, that, so that's a great way of doing it. And the other things to make sure you're doing are obviously practicing good hand hygiene, you know, hand washing, using hand sanitizer. Um, and perhaps thinking about avoiding very, very busy, crowded places for long periods of time if you know that you're particularly vulnerable um, uh, to uh, respiratory infections. Why is winter weather so um, closely associated with this uh, infection? Well, it's interesting. So we're not sure why exactly, but we do know that um, for every drop in a, a degree under five degrees, then we see um, respiratory visits to hospital go up um, and we see p- about a 10% rise um, in doctor's appointments for respiratory problems uh, for every degree under five degrees. So cold weather is definitely associated with an increase in respiratory infections and therefore um, increased incidences of pneumonia. 
Um, and particularly this year, we're really worried about people not heating their houses, um, partly perhaps because they're scared that they can't afford to. And if that is you, then please make sure you are um, getting the help that's available, um, contacting organisations and trying to get support. But um, also it might be the case that I think some people are possibly interpreting public or interpreting messages about conserving energy um, and uh, not being able, some people not being able to afford to heat their homes as a message that everybody should not heat their homes. I think it's really important if you're older, frail, uh, if you have a lung, if you have a lung condition, to keep your home warm if you possibly can. Um, this just generally supports your body and your immune system and helps you stay well. Does the uh, those who are suffering from asthma do are they at more risk as well with the winter? Yes. Yeah, so um, asthma obviously is a very very common um, respiratory condition, and many people find that they are triggered by various different winter problems. So cold weather, um, the drop in air temperature can trigger asthma attacks. Uh, respiratory viruses like cold and flu, which are obviously circulating a lot at this time of year. Um, can also trigger asthma attacks. So asthma is a re- uh, winter is a really difficult time for people with asthma. Um, and our specific message, if you have asthma, is obviously to make sure that you're getting your vaccines if you're eligible. So everybody who has a brown preventer inhaler is eligible for a free flu vaccine, um, depending on your age or your other uh, conditions, long-term conditions. You might also be able to get the pneumonia vaccine and the COVID-19 vaccine. It's really worth doing that. And then also making sure that you are taking your brown inhaler um, regularly as prescribed because that will help manage the inflammation in your lungs. Um, And then if you do get a cold or flu, um, then it will mean that you're less likely to suffer from a potentially fatal asthma attack on top of suffering from flu or a cold at the same time. Um, uh, Emma, uh, as uh, you are expert in this field, uh, what sort of food you would recommend for people with asthma or any lung conditions? Is there any particular um, type of food which will help them? So it's just a question of making sure that you're eating a really varied diet with lots of um, healthy fruit and vegetables. Um, there aren't any specific things that you shouldn't eat. So some people with asthma um, may feel that uh, dairy, for example, um, makes their asthma worse or um, creates more mucus, but this isn't actually scientifically proven. Um, instead, the message really is just to make sure you're getting a really wide variety of um, fruit and vegetables, and that will really help you look after your immune system. Um, and also, the other messages um, around, I know it's difficult at this time of year, but trying to avoid stress. Um, being stressed does make you more vulnerable to respiratory um, viruses, um, things like cold and flu, which can obviously set off asthma attacks. Um, or if you have COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, then um, similarly getting a virus can cause a real flare-up of your symptoms, and that's what we want to avoid this year. So, yes, eating healthily, making sure you're getting your vaccines, avoiding um, stress around Christmas time, all of that. Those are the kind of things you can do to help yourself stay well. Okay, that's that's great. Uh, thank you very much for your advice. I think uh, that was very useful, and um, everybody can benefit out of that. Thank you, Emma, uh, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Um, so that was Emma Rubach from Asthma Lung UK, and um, she's the head of health advice. 
Uh, and uh, of course, she was the right person on, on our program today is because we are talking about winter and how people can um, sort of uh, avoid the illnesses which are associated with uh, exposure to COVID in this, in this particularly in this winter, when people are finding difficult to warm their um, their uh, homes. Um, and there are there are people out there who are trying to um, sort of. Uh, help out um, by, you know, be, uh, because people are generally f- facing these crises, which is the uh, uh, economic crisis as well with the, with the energy bills. They are not able to heat up their their homes. And there are, there are particularly um, our uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, we have also um, started uh, some warm rooms for the people, uh, particularly for the elderly people, who can come and sit in a warm room for for a few hours, uh, where they can have a, a cup of tea and uh, you know read papers, uh, get together, talk to each other, have a warm company as well, uh, and uh, that is uh, sort of uh, that has been started as a pilot project here and is spreading out to the other uh, 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 to the other uh, sort of uh, chapters as well. Um, so, so this is one way, and along with that, also food banks as well. Hmm. So now we have our next guest, uh, Dr. Haley Gorton. Dr. Haley Gorton is senior lecturer in pharmacy practice at University of Huddersfield in the UK and a practicing community pharmacist. Dr. Haley also specialises in mental health pharmacy and advocates for suicide prevention. I welcome uh, Dr. Haley in our show. Thank you very much Hi. for joining us. Hi. Hi. Thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, you know, as a pharmacist, uh, please tell us why it is so important for people to get their flu jabs this winter and who specially should be prioritised. Yes, well, particularly in the winter, we see seasonal viruses in particular, things like colds and flus. And I think people are more aware of this now with COVID. Um, of course, that is a virus too. And it's important to remember that antibiotics don't work for viruses. So it's really key to become vaccinated, particularly for flu and for cold, especially if you're at risk of becoming ill or getting complications. Mm. And if people aren't sure whether they're eligible for the free NHS flu or COVID vaccines, I mean, almost everybody is eligible for a COVID vaccine if they haven't had that and that they are still available mm-hmm. as are boosters for some people. But in terms of the flu vaccine, and people with underlying health problems, anyone age over 50, people who are pregnant, carers, are eligible for the vaccine. Uh, you mentioned cold and flu. What's the difference between the two? And is there a jab for a for cold as well? There isn't um, a jab for colds. Colds tend to be milder infections than flus, and there are some, some differences with the symptoms. When people have flu, they tend to be... Um, more unwell generally than if they have a cold and the symptoms sort of sometimes take over the whole body sort of people feel very fatigued for example achy and the cold tends to be usual sort of cough nasal symptoms and things like that right okay so in a wider sense what are some other services and resources people can get from their local pharmacies that they might not know about well, as we're talking about vaccines, um, most pharmacies do offer 
flu vaccines and some will be offering COVID vaccines too. And to find out where these are, you can search on the NHS website via postcodes for these vaccines or simply ask at your local pharmacy or look for some posters. For people not eligible for the free NHS flu vaccine, some pharmacies do offer a private service and they're normally about £10 to £15 for that. Now, you asked me about other services. Well, I'm sure everyone will know that you get your medication from a pharmacy. Um, pharmacists can provide advice. We can also um, provide support for what we call self-care, so to help people look after themselves. That can be through purchasing over-the-counter medicines. If people have got queries about minor illnesses, the pharmacist can advise and their team can advise what what medications they might want to buy or things that they might want to do at home to help themselves. So pharmacies and their teams are experts in medicines. We can also, um, we, we want people to bring back any unused medicines for safe disposals. There are different services related to um, if people have been newly prescribed medicines or have been in hospital, pharmacists might follow up a bit more intensely. And then there are different services across some pharmacies related to blood pressure checking and stopping smoking, for example. And when you go into your next pharmacy, you'll, you might well see that there's lots of posters and information about public health. And there's lots, that's, that's a source of information for people as well. All right. Finally, as an expert in the medical field, is there any advice you might be able to give people about staying warm and keeping healthy this winter, especially in light of current social and economic conditions yeah this is extremely important and you know i acknowledge how how difficult it is for people at the moment and um people in the public health in the uk have have issued advice about trying to keep house houses warm particularly the re, the rooms that you're going to be in such as living rooms and bedrooms ideally about 18 degrees at least people can wear layers um hot and hot food and hot drinks are helpful i think i just caught the end of you talking about community spaces or warm banks that people might be able to access um and i suppose it's just to reassure people that they they wouldn't be judged um if they went to those that's really a supportive place for people if you're able to check on elderly and vulnerable neighbors that would be helpful um and then i suppose a couple of additional points related to sort of the winter time and, and looking after yourself. I know it's a bit icy outside today, so if people do go out, making sure they're wrapping up and wearing suitable shoes as we don't want people falling. Um, but, it, you know, also thinking about holiday times coming up and making sure you've got any of your usual prescription medicines in stock ready. Um, so ordering your medicines from the, the doctor's surgery at least one week, possibly 10 days before. So please use this as a prompt to check your supply now. And also if there's any over-the-counter medicines that you tend to have at home, sort of simple painkillers or indigestion remedies, that might be helpful to have as well. All right, Dr. Haley. Are there any common misconceptions that people hold when it comes to pharmacies that we can address well, sadly, yes, sometimes people do um, not quite fully understand what's going on uh, behind the scenes, so speaking to pharmacy and do sometimes make comments about sticking labels on boxes. And what we're actually doing there is we are clinically checking that the medicine that's been prescribed is suitable for the patient it's being prescribed for. So we'll be thinking about the dose 
the medication, things that we know about that person, so the age, the gender, if they are pregnant or breastfeeding, and other medications that they take. And that's part of the process that's sort of going on in the pharmacist's mind, supported by the rest of the team that perhaps people can't see. So it's to let people know, really, that pharmacists do have five years of training, and they are supported by a trained team, including people such as pharmacy technicians and pharmacy assistants who are also trained. So some people are quite surprised at what they're able to ask the pharmacy teams and the advice they're able to get. Um, But it's the right remind your listeners that pharmacists and their teams are there. Um, And if they are asking you for information when they are providing advice and medication, it's to, to benefit you and to provide you with the fullest and safest advice that they can. Right, that's great. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Haley, for joining us uh, this afternoon. I hope our listeners must have uh, sort of benefited out of uh, your talk. Thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully I will call you sometimes again. Thank yeah, you're you. very welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So that was uh, Dr. Haley Gorton. She's a senior lecturer in pharmacy practice at the University of Huddersfield in the U.K., and a practicing community pharmacist. And she gave a good advice about, you know, what you should be doing um, this winter, keeping yourself warm, using your clothes, wearing it appropriately, not going out unnecessarily. And if you want to go and uh, by all means, you can enjoy yourself, but wrap yourself up properly and make sure that you are eating healthy and uh, good, uh, plenty of good healthy food. That is what you would require, particularly the extremes of ages, elderly people, children. They have to be more careful because you are more vulnerable to the viruses. Uh, have your jabs uh, because they can, They do prevent. And as the COVID has proven that uh, it has been effective and um, uh, a lot of people, particularly the fatality, has certainly decreased and uh, so so although people are still still suffering from covid but those who have been vaccinated it it, it is not to to that extent and the the results are much better and people are not suffering that badly so uh, so it is effective so one should should have you are offer, you are being offered flu jabs to <laughs> so do have them um, they change the flu jab every year that's why it is important to have it every year because um, the uh, the variety the, there is a mutation that means there is a change in the virus so this is virulence that means it's uh, um, it's uh, power to cause a disease it changes every year because of the uh, slight change in their uh, in in their genetic formation and that is why the, your virulence is increasing the, and and that's why there is a need to incre- to change the jab which uh, the vaccination that's why it's important that it is given every every year and uh, and one should not uh, think that you know you had it last year and so you don't need it this year uh, you should um, take it and uh, because you you will be on the safer side once you have the jab 
and and all it does is it uh, it doesn't have any any serious side effects and and usually some some people they they do say and uh, and uh, it's my my own experience as well that uh, you know if you have a jab you are more likely to have the symptoms of flu mm. uh, but it is uh, it is possible that you can have a flu symptoms after having a flu jab because it is a, it is a virus which is introdu- introduced to you although it is not a uh, a live virus but it it um, a part of it is introduced to you so it is likely to give you those symptoms but these are mm-hmm. much uh, 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 sort of a, a, at a lesser level and uh, you don't suffer from it it's just that it it provides uh, immunity to your body or it it sort of um, initiates uh, the process of uh, defense in your body against this particular virus so it prevents uh, the serious infection which you might have when you 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 get this uh, sort of uh, this uh, any infection for for that matter so you know these uh, the, the different kind of weather you know it changes throughout the year mm. sometimes you have and it is it is a beauty uh, of life that you know you have got all these all these different uh, weathers and uh, some weathers they have a disadvantage over the other some some you know some people like one weather some people like hot weather some people like um Mind, winter. Yeah. yeah yeah and and i've heard many many of friends they say oh, oh well what you know for for the poor people it's easy because in in uh, in summer all they need is just to take off their clothes and they mm-hmm. are fine yeah. <laughs> but in in winter they need the the warm clothes for which they they have to True. buy them and they have to to be able to afford them so it is uh, difficult for them um whereas uh, you know those those people who can afford they would always say oh we like winter because you know you can wear your clothes and you, mm. and you are fine you know you can go where and where at least you are it is it's not too hot and it's not uh, you know uh but people living in the in the countries which where you hardly find sun they are always looking for going into a warm place this is mm. one way of avoiding the severe winters is to have a holiday somewhere where it is warm and uh, and those uh, you know who who are living here those who come from the hot countries particularly in pakistan uh, you know those who come here and they say you are looking for sun all the time and and they are are you crazy or <laughs> what you know you are trying to find a shade always um, in yeah. pakistan and trying to avoid the sun whereas here so it it is a time place and circumstances that matter you know is the same True. thing can be very valuable and same thing can be harmful to to you at a particular time it's the time of need so so it's important uh, so this is what uh, we we uh, we were talking about the the winter keeping winter and we have got so many things associated um, in this uh, in this winter particularly um, while uh, our head of the ahmadiyya muslim community hazrat mirza masoor ahmad uh, may allah strengthen his hands for many many years he has been warning people that uh, you know to to come towards their creator so that we do not go into crisis of war because uh, the 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 world is at the brink of um, third world war in order to stop that the leaders have to think what mm. they are doing they have to uh, you know um, they have to 
get away from their personal interests and rise above that and think of the humanity as a whole, how they can, uh, they can act in such a way so that they can prevent um, the crisis for the, for the poorer people, those who are suffering. There is a huge number of people who are right now at this time, they are hungry, they can't afford um, meals even. And uh, the cause of many um, deaths happening to the children are just because of lack of food. Mm. They are not getting um, clean water and uh, some of the resources. And I, I talked earlier about uh, the warm rooms and the food banks. Even our Ahmadiyya Muslim community is uh, creating some of the food banks and uh, um, in order to help people mm. in general. And that's, why, you know, wherever you are, if you are... Um, the, the purpose of creation of man and the holy the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community he has described it and he said that it is twofold purpose one is to to worship God Almighty because you have been he is the creator and he has created us in order to have such a relationship with him uh, a loving relationship with him and he he wants us to worship him but in order to seek his player we also have to do something good for his creation. So if we can do, if we can help our, I mean, the best of the creation, of course, is human, humanity and the human beings, if we can help them. They, these are our fellow brothers and sisters. And we, if we can't help them, you know, it's, it is, uh, we can't seek the player of Allah who has created us. So if we want his player, Apart from, you know, you, you say your prayers, you say your, you know, you're, you're fasting, you're going to, you know, uh, but you pay your zakat. The, the purpose of zakat, of course, uh, is to help these people who are in need and who are in going through difficult times and they can't, um, of course, they can't survive unless, you know, they are helped. So if we are able to help them, that is what is going to, um, to uh, help us achieve our purpose of our creation, and that is to please God Almighty, uh, who is our creator, and, and that is our purpose of life. And he, of course, he is the one who is the uh, fountainhead of every blessing we have. Uh, we need good health, we need, um, you know, we need uh, food, we need to, to be able to, you know, wrap ourselves up, you know, have nice clothes. So which at least fulfill our basic needs to keep us warm in winter and uh, and we everybody wants that you know he's he's living in in a house where he's safe he's uh, this is this is one dream of everyone that he has mm. got a place where where uh, the his family is safe and they are within the four, their own four walls so that's uh, these. These are the basic needs which uh, we, we think, and when we, whenever we think of uh, you know um, of life, then we also have to think about others. How would you know when we think of ourselves, our children, our family? Then we also think of the others. You know how they are suffering and how one can help them. True, you know, but that's what <clears throat> the. Um, Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that your charity to others is certainly misplaced if you have a near relative to deserve it. Even though we have, uh, you know, f f 
food banks, there's a government. But indeed, it is our duty as well to look after the people around you. I think the easiest way should be that a street should look, you know, in, in within the street we can look at who are in need, who are suffering from poverty, who is, you know, in need of food. And simply by taking this very, you know, small step, we can, you know, uh, bring uh, happiness on their faces, those who are in need. And, you know, the <clears throat> Holy Quran also states that and do not forget to do good to one another. And that's what Dr. Tariq Babi mentioned, that there are some rights to humankind, human being as well. If we are not fulfilling both of them, then we cannot, you know, have the love of God Almighty, nearness of God Almighty. So it is very important that when we discuss about our own self, we should be, you know, uh, having the same uh, sympathy for our brothers as well. And that's how we can have you know, a best society and best nation. So please join us back after the news break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to Voice of Islam. Online, on mobile and on DAB. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessing for Allah be upon on all our listeners. Welcome once again and joining us back uh, to discuss another topic, uh, Sharia law which we will be discussing uh, in this hour. In the first hour, we were discussing the, you know, the winter we have, that how one can warm themselves, how one can protect themselves from, the, from this winter, the viruses, the, you know, the illnesses are there, and what kind of uh, vaccines are needed and jabs are needed to protect themselves from uh, you know, the illnesses is there for, in, the, in this winter. Now, uh, in this particular hour, we will be discussing the Sharia law, a cruel, you know, people think that a cruel form of punishment. We will be discussing uh, this topic in depth and we will be having some guests who will be giving us a true insight that what this Sharia law actually means, what are the basics of Sharia law, what are the true meaning of Sharia law and even if people are, you know, falling in a wrong way, if some governments are governing by following these laws in a wrong way, then how and so what are the true ways and what are the true teachings of Islam in, in, in uh, you know, uh, if, if we put this Sharia law in front of us and how government should govern uh, the, the countries. For this, we will be having two guests, one from USA and one from Germany, and they will be giving us uh, insight about this topic. As we know, in today's world, Sharia law frequently takes the forefront of international headlines as a symbol of Islamic oppression and terrorism. Sharia has been perceived as inter-aliyah, dogmatic and you know, propagating a radical and violent ideology. 
the sensitivities surrounding this issue have divided populations with polarizing effect. However, uh, the fact of matter is that these extremes are fueled by fear and misunderstanding, much of which Muslims uh, are directly responsible for. And, you know, the mutation of uh, the concept of Sharia in various schools of uh, jurisprudence began as early as the 3rd century of Islam and continues today within the ever-expanding body of Islamic world, adding insult to injury. The manner in which Sharia has been fashioned and uh, implemented in most constitutions in the Muslim world, being largely used as a political ploy. Against this backdrop, along with moderate Muslims hailing Islam as a religion of peace, it begins, it begs the question, are such, you know, the deception of Sharia law a genuine reflection of Islamic teachings? And the path of life, the Sharia law gives, the, 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 which actually means, what is it and what is the true understanding of Sharia law? And of course, Sharia proposes that there is a God. God reveals his uh, desire of how man should shape his destiny. And, uh, you know, God's will is manifested in the form of certain laws and uh, principles. And these laws or principles uh, you know, constitute Sharia. But of course, we know that sometimes it's been misinterpreted by some people. There are some, uh, you know, I should say, uh, certain people follow the Sharia law or, you know, want others to follow in their countries in a way they understand, which is, of course, not what Islam says. If we discuss uh, further about the branches of uh, Sharia law, we Though there are five main branches of Sharia law. One is Ibadah. Ibadah means ritual to worship, to remember God Almighty uh, and pray to Him and uh, day and night worship Him. And the second thing is Mu'amulat, which is transaction and contracts. The third thing is behavior which is Arabic is called Adab, then is morals and manners, and then is beliefs and punishment. So morals and behavior, of course, comes under behavior, and then is Itikad, which means beliefs, and Aqubat, which means punishment. So there are five branches which, you know, consist of Sharia. So if somebody is following this, of course that means they are following the, 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 the Sharia. And of course, as I mentioned, they are worship, they are contract, they are behavior, of course, to for the betterment of mankind, uh, moral manners, and of course, beliefs and aqubat. And personally, I think the whole focus or emphasizes also on punishment, even though which comes at last. And of course, it's again, it's for the betterment uh, for the mankind. If there is a need of it. But of course, we have uh, uh, guests with us. They will be discussing this topic uh, in depth. Uh, we have our first scholar with us. 
is a Wasim Sayyid, member of National Executive of USA, Ahmadiyya Muslim Community since 1995, currently responsible for tabligh and propagation. Assalamu alaikum, uh, peace be upon you, Wasim Sayyid Sahib. Assalamu alaikum, can you hear us? Waalaikum Assalam, yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Zakala for joining today in Voice of Islam. Pleasure. Uh, uh, the first thing I would like to ask you, whenever the, you know, the word Sharia comes up in the Western media, it is invariably discussed as something barbaric, alien or threat. Would you please elaborate what exactly Sharia is and what does it mean in practice? Yes, uh, Sharia refers, one can go into a lot of uh, technical details, but really it refers to religious laws. You were just mentioning some of these. It tells me to be truthful. It tells me to take care of my neighbor. It tells me to discharge my responsibilities towards my wife, towards my children, and tells her to take care of her responsibility towards me and towards our children. All, all the religions have their own religious laws. Mm. And uh, indeed, among some people of, uh, you know, people of one religion, often there are arrangements made for them to resolve their issues mm. according to their internal laws. So we have these boards within the United States and the UK of Jewish uh, congregations having their own tribunals and so on and so forth. Why the media portrays Sharia in bad light uh, it's very simple, really. It sells newspapers. It attracts eyeballs. Mm. Uh, this is the simplest explanation. But I think uh, also, to some extent, the abuse of Islam by fanatics and by politicians and by rulers in the Muslim world also plays into that, uh, that whole thing. Mm. Um, there is also one other aspect, I think, of Sharia in the Judeo-Christian society. I personally think their fear has to do with their own uh, terrible experiences, with what they know of biblical Sharia, if you like, you know, hmm. religious laws that are uh, so impractical. And it took them centuries to throw those overboard. I mean, you know, the tooth for a tooth and turning the other cheek. Both of hmm. these laws are impractical, not at all consonant with human nature. So if only we as Muslims could do our job fully and communicate and make people know the amazing beauty, perfection, you know, practicality and consonance with human nature of Islamic Sharia, uh, I think uh, some of that fear uh, might be abated, might be removed. Um, I think this is, you know, this is some essence of what, what the answer to your question, I think. Zakbullah, you know, what are the human rights of non-Muslims living in a Muslim state? Uh, would you like to elaborate uh, this particular thing a bit more? Uh, this, yeah, Zakmullah. This, this is this is very important, really. Um, Islam, the Holy Quran, isn't uh, you know a, a detailed document about uh, telling you uh, how to conduct elections and on which day and so on. It lays down principles for government and governance. Hmm. And uh, indeed, you know, regarding the selection of the persons that uh, should be put in places of governance. And these are incredibly clear, and they emphasize fundamentally absolute justice. So it doesn't say pick this system or that system, but what it says is, and I think I'll quote to you a couple of verses, which are very simple. In chapter 16, verse 91, Allah says, Allah orders you to always practice justice. And then it develops this theme by saying far, very, very clearly in chapter 5, verse 9, let not a people's enmity incite you to act otherwise than with justice. So no amount of enmity between you and any people should permit you to deviate from absolute justice. We must be just all the time according to the Holy Quran because it says 
that is uh, nearer to righteousness. Hmm. And then hmm. it tells the people who are put in government. You know, I, I, I should tell you that there is a verse which says how you should select first, you know, the officers that, uh, that should be placed in the positions of power. And in chapter 4, verse 59, Allah says, He commands you to make over the trust, that's to say the trust, you know, the trust of government, to those people who are entitled to them. So it says select those people who are competent. It doesn't say that they should be men. It doesn't say that they should be women. It doesn't say that they should be short or black or blue. It says if they are uh, trustworthy, if they are uh, entitled, if they have the capability, then you should select those. And then it says, and when you judge between men, you should judge with justice. So when you govern, you should govern with justice. And surely excellent is that with which Allah admonishes you. Allah is all hearing, all uh, all knowing. So when the responsibility uh, is given to somebody to govern, they have to do it with justice in mind. And this is the interpretation that is also proved by the actual actions of the Holy Prophet, the founder of Islam, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In Medina, when he migrated there after you know, escaping from the 13 years of persecution in Mecca, when he arrived there, he arrived um, in the midst of pagans, in the midst of Jewish uh, communities, in the, and then there were some people who had accepted him. All three of those groups, they elected him as a leader, hmm. and uh, they agreed. And this is, uh, you know, they agreed to a pact, and it's called the Charter of Medina. Anybody can go and Google and Wikipedia it. And uh, all the disputes would be brought to him for his superior judgment by the resolve of their own people, all of these people. And Islamic law had already been revealed at that time. But the Jews came to him, the pagans came to him for guidance and for decisions. And without fail, every time he would inquire from them, would you like your dispute to be settled according to the Jewish law or according to the Islamic law or according to arbitration? Hmm. And every time he did not, uh, he did not any, or impose on a Jewish person Islamic law or on uh, some other party who did not agree to a particular way of doing something. So this is uh, the requirement of absolute justice. So, so the question that you have, that what kind of, uh, you know, what should we say, uh, human rights of non-Muslims, they have uh, the same human rights that anybody else has. And uh, the principle laid down by Islam that you should be just is what governs the behavior or is required to govern the behavior of the uh, Muslim government, if you like, in a, in a country uh, where Islam is being practiced. And true, you know, as you were mentioning regarding the incident where the Holy Prophet asked them, okay, what kind of justice you need from me, a Mus- from uh, the Muslim uh, Islamic teachings or your teaching? And of course, it came out that their teachings were more stricter than the Islamic teachings at the end. Okay, so now moving to okay. another question. And are there any commands in the Holy Quran uh, regarding the stoning of adulterers? This is a simple question. No. Mm-hmm. For anybody one, they should show it to me. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to tell our listeners as well. There's no uh, verse which says that one should be, uh, the adulterers should be stoned. Uh, seems, um, you know, Islamic law demands very severe punishments for certain crimes. And what is the philosophy of punishment in Islam? This is uh, absolutely true. Uh, but a lot of times people come and ask me when they're talking about Islam, 
I want to ask you a question about pork, for example. Hmm. And I always wonder whether the person has uh, sat down and looked at the entirety of what Islam talks about and what its fundamental principles are, whether they read uh, the very first verse of the Holy Quran where Allah is described as the most gracious, the ever merciful. True. Whether they have read uh, that in the Quran, the Muslims are told to adopt the colors of God. You know, so if he is described in the very first verse and 114 times thereafter in the Quran as the most gracious and the ever merciful, and if we are required to become like him, and if the laws are given by this being who is defined and described as most gracious and most ever merciful, can they ever have a character of barbarity in them? And so when people come and ask these kinds of questions, uh, it really is a result of a lack of uh, appreciation of the entire teachings of the Holy Quran. The purpose of Islamic punishments is one, to reduce and eliminate crime, and number two, to bring about a reformation of the people who are uh, guilty, found guilty of having committed something. But before that, it's incredibly important that we ask uh, what does Islam demand from the authorities? Mm. What are they supposed to provide for the citizens? Again and again in the news these days, we will hear stories of very brutal regimes and rulers destroying absolutely the concept of justice and uh, exploiting the name of Islam and imposing punishments on people which are indeed uh, barbaric because there is no absolute right of these people without having taken care of uh, providing the people the things that Islam says, the food, the, you know, the shelter, the accommodation and whatnot, and uh, instead choosing uh, to be brutal and uh, kind of uh, executing these things. But the, the philosophy of Islam, punishments, again, I want to emphasize, can be appreciated by those people who live in countries like America, where I live. Hmm. The population in the prison is runs into the millions. And uh, the injustices that are being committed against those people who are inside prison and on their relatives who are outside of prison are unimaginable to an ordinary person. So the concept of uh, Islam's punishment that uh, people again and again mention as being barbaric, when you see it in practice and you compare against what other systems of justice, so-called uh, humane and whatnot, are doing to people, uh, it, it, it's a very simple matter to say that the Islam system is far better and far uh, more in line with human nature than uh, what uh, people have invented on their own. Indeed, indeed true. Uh, you know, now I would like to, you know, ask a question regarding <clears throat> uh, women. Uh, you know, does Sharia law negate human rights specifically, you know, especially with regards to women? As many people have this in their mind, the Sharia law doesn't give you know, rise to women and negates their rights. If you could please uh, shed some light on this. This this is one of the most uh, misunderstood, I think, aspects of Mm. Islam. Again, I want to go back to uh, refer to our own responsibilities as Muslims in explaining and inviting our neighbors and uh, people who we come into contact with to come and read the Holy Quran. Islam states categorically that men and women are equally the recipients of divine grace. Mm. And their oneness in this aspect is emphasized in the Quran again and again. You know, I mentioned earlier 
that we are taught to adopt the colors of God. Allah says in the Holy Quran, Allah will turn in mercy to believing men and believing women. Allah is most forgiving, ever merciful. I can quote, you know, verse upon verse, hmm. but the fact is that men and women are created by God. They are His creation. You know, the love I have and my wife have, we have for our children, because they are our progeny, hmm. is nothing in comparison to the effort Allah put into the creation of the universe and then the bringing into being of, uh, you know, the earth and the uh, sort of uh, the solar, you know, the planets uh, that we are occupying and preparing uh, the atmosphere and the water, the amazing effort, billions of years. And then he creates us. So how could it be that God, who is our creator, could not have uh, love for women and would just be interested in, in, in men? Allah says in the Holy Quran, emphasizing this unity of, uh, you know, men and women, he created you from a single being. And then from its kind, he brought forth its mate. And then uh, again and again, uh, there's one verse in particular, you know, in chapter 33, where it is just, uh, this, this topic is kind of uh, drilled into people. It says, for men who submit themselves wholly to Allah, and women who submit themselves wholly to him. And men who believe, and women who believe. Men who obey Allah, and women who obey him. Men who are truthful, women who are truthful. Men who are steadfast, women who are steadfast. Men who are humble, women who are humble. Men who give alms, women who give alms. Men who fast, women who fast. Men who guard their chastity, and women who guard their chastity. Men who remember Allah, women who remember Allah. Allah has prepared forgiveness and a great reward. It's so uh, categoric and so specific and so explicit, the equality between men and women in terms of spiritual things, that uh, anybody who raises this kind of a question has not had the chance and we have not done our job of inviting them to read the Holy Quran. Uh, but I think that's a, a, that, that is actually the state of affairs. If somebody says that women and men should have a 100-meter race together and that would prove the equality, well, then we know that even the rest of the world doesn't do that. True. You know, one thing I would like to ask you, if you can just shed some light upon... You know, the time in the in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, how women are empowered and how in our, you know, Jamaat, in our community, the women are empowered. I remember uh, having read about uh, the one of our uh, uh, leaders, well, I think the third successor to the Holy Founder of our community. Hmm. He was asked, Hazrat Nasir Ahmed once, uh, about the education of uh, women. Uh, in the Jamaat, and he said, you know, I, I don't know about the men, but I can tell you that 100% of Ahmadi women are educated. True. And the fact of the matter is that, uh, and I see this from a point of view of also, you know, in our matrimonial affairs, if you like, you know, in the marriages mm. that are uh, uh, occur again and again. Just recently, I heard a lady went to her, our current spiritual leader, mm. after having completed her PhD. And he advised her that, look, you've done a PhD, it may well be difficult for you to find a PhD uh, equivalent uh, mm. level of education uh, husband. But, you know, find a person who is righteous and get married to him. So mm. the level of uh, education and the level of empowerment that we see in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is a reflection of the implementation and the following and the obedience of uh, the teachings of Muhammad Wasallam and the teachings of the Holy Quran and that he displays and that his companions, men and women, displayed in and during his lifetime. Hazrat Aisha, his wife, may Allah be pleased with her, was renowned within Islam as the person who could teach 
half of the faith to people. And mm. after the Prophet died, she lived for many, many years. Mm. And uh, she was very young when she married the Holy Prophet Muhammad And this was one of the objectives that the Holy Prophet had in marrying her at that young age. So that she would learn from him the faith that Allah had revealed to him. And so that after his demise, she would be there for you know years upon years to provide that guidance. And so the Muslim scholars, the men, would go to her and ask her and learn from her the faith that Allah had taught to mankind through Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, the, the women of his time, they, they participated in the battles that they had to fight defending their right to freedom of religion. So, uh, and then of course, you know, he said again and again, this is emphasized that it is the duty of uh, every Muslim, man and woman, to seek knowledge. Seek knowledge yeah. And it's knowledge that empowers, really. And uh, we have, of course, as I said, today, uh, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, tens of millions of them, men and women, in every country, uh, showing that if you follow the teachings of Islam and you do what Muhammad Sallallahu had taught uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim men and women 1400 years ago, you will end up with a society in which women will be far more educated. And, you know, the upbringing of the future generation the women have a far greater role in that than men. Men are out earning bread and putting food on the table and so on most of the time. Women also are the ones who, in the early age, early part of the life of a child, are there all the time. So educated uh, you know, female population is going to end up with a far more educated and uh, well-brought-up uh, progeny in the next generation. And this is, I think, uh, true in... Uh, to a very, very excellent degree in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Thank you very much, uh, Wasim Sayyid Sahib, for joining us today and giving us a very good insight uh, regarding Sharia law. Thank you very much for joining once again. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. May God bless. Allah bless you. Uh, that was uh, Wasim Ahmad <clears throat> Sayyid, and uh, he was joining us from USA. Uh, he was a national executive of the Muslim community since 1995, currently responsible for the uh, or, you know, the propagation of Islam. <clears throat> As he mentioned, that Sharia gives rights to, you know, especially if we discuss about women, and uh, people sometimes may think that Islam is not giving uh, the rights to women, even though, as he mentioned, as you have heard, that even if we look in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and even now we see that the beautiful teachings of Islam, the beautiful teaching of Sharia, it's, it's, it's best for everybody. And once, you know, I had the chance to go uh, to, um, to, 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 to see uh, a Jewish temple and uh, I have seen that there were one of the person who was showing it was a man of course there was a woman uh, with him she tried to touch the holy scripture and uh, the you know the man he you know hit her, her, her hand and told her not to even touch the holy scripture and that's where I felt that by the grace of God Almighty the Sharia has given the same right to women to touch the Holy Quran, to touch the scripture, to teach the scripture. And that's what we see even in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, even now there they are there to teach, uh, you know, the, the Holy Scripture to our children and especially mothers. They teach the children on daily basis. They sit down with them, they go through the Holy Scriptures. 
And of course, th there's no force on them to do particular things. And especially if we discuss about doing veil, that it is just because of Sharia and it is being imposed on them. No, they, they, they full-heartedly they do it. They understand that what is the need, why they are doing it. And that's what, you know, especially living in this country, you can't force anybody to do, to, to do you know, the um, veil. If they are doing it, they feel protected. They want to, you know, fulfill the duties they have towards God Almighty. And they do with their heart. And, of course, Islam doesn't impose anything to anybody, but, of course, tells these are the ways if you follow, indeed, you will be loved by God Almighty, you will be dear to God Almighty. So these, uh, of course, maybe, um, maybe you've just uh, listened to the example of uh, Hazrat Aisha, the wife of Hazrat, uh, the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that she was uh, the one from whom many men learned the faith. Uh, so she was teacher of many of them, and that is, uh, that is an excellent example how the woman were made by by God Almighty the teacher of even the men who who, who wanted to learn and who, who did learn from Hazrat Aisha. May Allah be pleased with with her. So the um, there there are various uh, branches of Sharia in Islam, um, and the, there are five main branches. Um, these are uh, called ibadah. Ibadah means it's related to the ritual worship. Then we have mu'amalat. Mu'amalat means the transactions and contracts. Then we have adab. Adab is the behavior, the morals and manners. Itiqadat is means beliefs. And uqabat, uqabat means the, um, the consequences or the punishments. So these matters, they constitute a universe in themselves and form part of an inherently private sphere of individual life that no religious authority particularly the state should ever enforce. So um, obviously the Sharia cannot enforce all these different branches. They are all uh, voluntary and they are uh, sort of ex uh, accepted by the mind. And, and it's only then that people can, can act upon them. And Islam prescribes certain laws or principles that govern all five main branches. At its core, Sharia is intended to develop and sustain a moral and just society. Paradoxically, in jurisprudential theory, the purpose of Sharia is to protect the welfare of people and places an obligation on the government to fulfill the necessities. Necessities means zaruriyat, um, needs hajat. Hajat means the, um, again, it's the, it's the needs. And the luxuries means uh, kamaliyat or, or tahsiniyat of all its subjects in descending order of importance. So as regards the types of punishment in Islam, we got like uh, different types of punishments, uh, three main types uh, if, uh, for the purpose of explanation have been mentioned in the Holy Quran and in the Sunnah, and that's the practice of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The first one is called Had. Had means these punishments are those that have been categorically established by Allah the Almighty, and the punishments have been clearly stipulated in the Holy Quran. Therefore, once those crimes have occurred, 
and been proven, there can be no compromise in the implementation of the punishment for such crimes. For example, theft, fornication, according to some jurists, rape, as well as leveling false accusations against someone. Tazir is the second form of punishment which is established by Allah the Almighty and the implementation has been left to the discretion of the authorities. The exact form of punishment has not been stipulated by Islamic law. Instead, Allah the Almighty has left it to the representatives of governments. Um, the relevant authorities to conduct the investigation and to determine the severity of the punishment. Um, the third one is called it's called jinayat, jinayat is kisas and diyat. That means that when there is a um, uh, there is equitable retaliation and blood money, these are to do with the rights of the people, which include punishments in the form of equitable retaliation, blood money, expiation or ransom. So in certain cases, these punishments can be lessened or forgiven entirely, such as punishments for killing or causing injury. The Holy Quran uses uh, the word kasab for commission of crime, which implies a deliberate effort. If there is no intention to violate or exceed the limits, then there is no criminal liability and the act is pardonable. Any act carried out in ignorance and without adequate knowledge deserves pardon. God Almighty says in the Holy Quran, Verily, Allah undertakes to accept the repentance of only those who do evil ignorantly and then repent soon after. These are they to whom Allah turns with mercy and Allah is all-knowing wise. That is in chapter 4, mm. verse 18. Uh, true. Uh, now we will uh, turn to our next guest. Uh, Imam Ijaz Ahmed, he's joining us from Bethel Hamid Mosque, Fulda, Germany. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, Imam mm. Ijaz. Thank you very much Wal for joining us uh, today in the Voice of Islam. Uh, Imam Ijaz Sahib, you know, Islam uh, provides the most comprehensive code of life and it claims to provide the answer to man's every need. But somehow there is a confusion over what is real Islam and what are the cause of uh, this confusion? And how can confusion and misinterpretation be addressed if you can shed some light upon this? Um, I think ignorance is the problem. The Islamic teachings are actually easy to explain. That's just the Holy Quran, the Sunnah, the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the hadith, the sayings of him. And the biggest mistake that is made is that religion, in this case Islam, is mixed up with culture, politics, and other things. Mm. And this can lead to a wrong image, especially uh, of uh, Islam. And I will give you an example. The Christian Crusades weren't really Christian Crusades. They were more like political Crusades. Because we know the Christian belief, we know the Bible, and exactly the same thing is repeated today with Islam. If you mix Islam and politics, you get something like ISIS. They call themselves Islamic State, but mm. their actions have nothing to do with Islam. Mm. And these people have more of a political agenda. Uh, another example, if you 
mix Islam and culture, you get something like honor killings, which also has uh, nothing to do with Islam. So in short, we have to learn to differentiate and if you want to know, to, to, uh, if you want to know the true teachings of Islam, then even just reading the Holy Quran is enough. Mm. Then I think with time we will understand the teachings of Islam and I think such questions uh, about Islam that is uh, if Islam is uh, um, a religion of of peace or not I think such questions will be then uh, clear indeed you know that's absolutely right uh, you know in, in some Muslim countries violations of blasphemy laws can carry the possibility of death penalty <clears throat> what is the punishment for blasphemy and apostasy in Islam Zakla, for the question, um, Islam goes a step further than any other religion hmm. when it comes to granting freedom of speech and expression. And no doubt blasphemy is condemned unmoral, but Islam does not prescribe any corporal punishment for blasphemy. And blasphemy is spoken of five times in the Holy Quran. And I will share some examples uh, from the Holy Quran. For example, in the Surah 4, verse 141, Allah says, and he has already revealed to you in the book that when you hear the signs of Allah being denied and mocked at, sit not with them until they engage in a talk other than that, for in that case you would be like them. So, there is no corporal punishment for blasphemy. The teachings of Islam is to stay away from gatherings where blasphemy is taking place. And the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, also once said that the greatest weapon we have is prayer. And this is exactly the case here. We should leave such gatherings where blasphemy takes place. But at the same time, we should pray for such people that Allah will uh, guide them right. Furthermore, as a precaution, Allah has also given the Muslims a lesson. And it says in Surah 6, verse 109, O believers, do not insult what they invoke beside, besides Allah, or they will insult Allah spitefully out of ignorance. This is how we have made each people's deed appealing to them, then to their Lord is their return, and he will inform them, inform them uh, of what they used to do. So, summarize, blasphemy is morally wrong, and especially we Muslims should respect other religions, but also know that from an Islamic point of view, there is no corporal punishment for blasphemy. The punishment lies with Allah alone. Regarding um, apostasy, for those who don't know what apostasy is, apostasy is accepting a uh, religion then, and then leaving it. And when we talk about Islam, Islam already means peace. And if we look at it uh, logically, no one is forced to accept Islam. And if someone accept, accepts Islam of their own will, then they also have the right to leave Islam of their own will. 
And a very famous verse of the Holy Quran, Allah ikraha fiddin, there shall be no compulsion in religion. And then there's another verse of the Holy Quran, which makes it very clear that there is no corporal punishment for apostasy in Islam. In the Surah 4, verse 138, Allah says, those who believe, then disbelief, then again believe, then disbelief, and thereafter go on increasing in disbelief, Allah will never forgive them nor guide them to any way of uh, deliverance. And if there were a death penalty for apostasy, then it would mean that if they became disbeliever, they would be killed. But that's not what the Quran says. Hmm. The, the Quran says, I will repeat, those who believe, then disbelieve, then again believe. You know, it's, it's very clear. So I think people should really only try to read and understand the Quran, then such questions will not arise at all. Indeed, you know, thank you for giving us uh, insight uh, on this question, which is, of course, very important question. Now, moving on to the next question, uh, you know, should Muslim demand imposition of Sharia law while living in non-Muslim countries? In my opinion, there is no country in the world nowadays that acts purely Islamic, which means that there is no true Sharia nowadays in any country. Hmm. Personally, I think I live in Germany um, that the laws here are more Sharia comp uh, compliant than in the so-called Islamic countries. Hmm. So, as also you mentioned it before also, it's not just about the punishments. Hmm. In Sharia, there is freedom of religion, freedom to buy the mosque, buy the church, and so on. But we do not see this freedom in the so-called Islamic countries. Another example, a few years ago, women were not allowed to drive a car in Saudi Arabia, but now they are. Does this have anything to do with Islam? Islam has not changed for 1400 years. Hmm. So we should, we should try to differentiate between religion and politics. In summary, Sharia is of course a good thing. Sharia also means signposts on how someone should lead his life. But the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also said that we should respect the laws of the country where we live. And if we are restricted, we have the option to emigrate to a country where we have freedom. So it's very easy. Hmm. Indeed, you know, that's absolutely right. Uh, of course, uh, we should follow the rules of the country we're living in. And uh, as you mentioned, most of them, they don't go against Islam. And we can easily live in these countries by following uh, the Muslim, these Islamic teachings. Uh, the last question I would like to ask you, uh, what does fatwa mean in Islam? And is there, any, is there a space of diversity and change in Islamic law? Um, a fatwa is a legal advice issued by a Muslim scholar for the purpose of clarifying a religious issue that arises among uh, Muslims. 
Um, the teachings of Islam remain the same, but sometimes not everyone understands them because when there are rules, there are always exceptions. For example, um, a scholar was once asked if someone could pray with lightly dirty clothing. The scholar has given the fatwa that it is permissible if someone has no other clothing. And then one day, the scholar's clothes were also slightly dirty, but he went home and changed his clothes. Um, then when he was asked why he changed his clothes, because he himself said it was allowed, he replied in Farsi, e fatwa, e taqwa. that means that was fatwa and this is taqwa. Taqwa means fear of God. So we should try not, uh, fatwa means it's permissible, it's allowed. But taqwa, uh, the fear of God, is, it's more, it's better. You know, we should try not to do the minimum, we should try to do the maximum. And we saw another example uh, during the corona pandemic. Normally, Muslims pray shoulder to shoulder in the, in, in the mosque. But during the corona pandemic, Islamic scholars sat down and decided based on the safety of human health and issued the fatwa that in such case, we can also pray with a distance. But we, you know, we Ahmadi Muslims, of course, we are very blessed that we have the caliph, um, uh, someone who is for us a guideline, a suitable guide also for such cases. Um, but overall, as I said before, the Islamic teachings are unchanged and will remain also unchanged. Jazakumullah. Uh, thank you very much, Imam Jaz, for joining us today and giving us uh, the you know true understanding of the question uh, we've discussed uh, today. Uh, Allah bless you and have a good evening. There was uh, Imam Ijaz Ahmed. He joined us uh, from Fulda, Germany. He's serving as as Imam as a missionary of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association. As we're discussing Sharia law, a topic which always in the news, you know, explained not the way Islamic teachings are. And, uh, you know, always there are some things where people think that Sharia law is something, uh, you know, not uh, you know, people can follow or people religiously can follow. But the true insight is, you know, very different. Islam is a religion of peace. It teaches us love and harmony. God is loving God. And he didn't want, some, uh, want us to, you know, put a burden on us. And whenever there's some kind of punishment, it ever for our betterment. I would like to now... <clears throat> You know, run an audio clip of uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. He was a fourth caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim community. A question was asked to him Is amputation of a thief's hand the Islamic punishment for theft? Because this is a very, you know, question comes up all the time that if you somebody uh, do some kind of, uh, you know, robbery, just cut his hand. So is it, you know, 
the punishment for the thief. So now we will listen to that and we'll come back after the audio. Some Ahmadis have supported um, the uh, uh, interpretation of the Quranic verse relating to the punishment of theft as meaning imprisonment or something else other than the actual amputation of the hands. Is such a view valid, particularly since it's contrary to the practice of the Holy Prophet, or so it appears? It all stems from a meaning attributed to Khatayyad. Some people insist that Khatayyad, the word used for the, by the Holy Quran for severing one's hand, also means to put somebody out of circulation to make him ineffective. And uh, they also quote from the Holy Quran referring to the verse and it says that virtually, practically, now not virtually but practically, literally, the hands of Abu Lahab were never severed and they remained intact and healthy. They were not destroyed. But virtually he was destroyed and he, he was made ineffective in his efforts to destroy Islam. So taking their cue from this as well, they say that if a thief is made ineffective in any manner so that he cannot steal again, that purpose is also served by this verse. So that is why they say it, but it's an open question. It had to be investigated and uh, uh, found out definitely to what, what extent. But as far as the practical, the first uh, uh, literal translation is concerned, we know positively that Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa ordered the severing of hand. And one should not be ashamed of this. If you are running away from this through shame, being ashamed of an Islamic teaching while you are facing a modern world, this is the wrong attitude. Because that will be insulting Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa too. Because if a, a, an act is to be ashamed of in his time, uh, then it should be an act of, of shame for this time as well. And vice versa. So that is nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, the Islamic system of punishment has to be examined in context of Islamic moral teachings and the atmosphere of high moral standard which Islam endeavors to establish in a society. When that happens, then the society rises to such heights as crimes become very rare and unnatural. Without uh, creating that society, if you go for criminal punishments, you will be doing great injustice to Islam. For example, it is also established that anybody who steals because the hunger compels him, his hand will never be severed. So in a society where millions of people are left unattended 
and many of them die of hunger and their basic needs are not uh, uh, provided by that society. However, being allowed their claim be to Islamization, they do not deserve and they have no right to introduce Islamic system of punishment because Islamic system of provision has not been, not been produced. An Islamic system of morality has not been introduced. So to go for Islamic punishment without all these prerequisites is totally wrong. This is why it looks so strange. And then there is Islamic standard of uh, evidence. And the whole society is turned into a truthful society. Without that, if you, for example, introduce the Islamic system of punishment for fornication or adultery in a country, I shouldn't name any country because they would be, they would be hurt, maybe. But there are certain countries where it is a common crime and it's a common crime to tell lies and for five rupees or so you can buy evidence. So if Islamic system of punishment in, in, is introduced in such a country, what would happen that the few people who do not indulge in fornication, they would be killed and they will be lashed by those who indulge in fornication. And it's so easy for them to produce false evidence. So if the standard of evidence is totally un-Islamic, how can you introduce Islamic system of punishment? It is putting the horse before the uh, cart before the horse. First, create the prerequisites which Islam creates with effort and labor. And as the Prophet Mustafa created with great endeavor, then you have a right to introduce the punishment part, which will come in the end, not before. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today and uh, listening to the very important topic of Sharia law. I would like to thank the producer of today's uh, show, Dora Samin Mirza, and of course the technical team for arranging this topic. Thank you very much.